everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fitness Candor Podcast. I am your host, Eric Feigl. We'll be talking only the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me, Art Jones. <laughs> I have someone on with me today that I've, uh, I've had in the past. His name is John Turner. He is the author of a book that I am a huge fan of and I actually carry with me every day. It's called The Path of Most Resistance. How to Achieve Physical Superiority, and he also runs the webpage ArthurJonesExercise.com, which is one of my uh, favorite go-to uh, sites for most things exercise. I think it has the best, the best, um, most truthful pictures, articles, and uh, he's he's doing some updating to it too. So we'll, we'll dig into that. How you doing, John? Appreciate you being on. I'm doing well, Eric. Uh, thank you. Very kind of you to say. Uh, I'm glad you enjoy my book and uh, the website. Absolutely. Um, for those who haven't listened, could you just give a, a quick refresher of your background and and the work that you're that you've done? Uh, sure. I um, my my working career was spent in municipal work, but um, it was I had, I guess. Uh, started my interest in weight training started when I was quite young but it, again it wasn't uh something that stood the test of time it was uh displaced by football and girls as I matured and <laughs> grew older and um but it was just a um a meeting with a um a gym owner when I was 20 I guess and he would be about 50 very impressive man named Alf Turk and he, we were total strangers, and he um, entrusted me with uh, some Iron Man. I'd heard about Iron Man, but I, uh, <clears throat> it wasn't available on the newsstands, at least not up here in Canada. And he said, "Here, read these, the, read these Arthur Jones articles. I think he's got something." And that was it. That, that, then that was, uh, I was completely thunderstruck uh, at how stupid <laughs> I had been, and um, and so I, um, I started training. Uh, Using the Nautilus training principles with conventional equipment, and then I sure. graduated. I saved some money. I got some Nautilus machines, and um, I uh, had a gym. Briefly had a gym, and um, and then um, when the opportunity to acquire the Arthur Jones website uh, came up, I did, and uh, I was very grateful to have that opportunity. And it's uh, it's been great. It uh, uh, I spent a lot of time communicating um, with people all over the world who share my interest in resistance training and Arthur Jones and his principles and equipment. And I got a huge kick out of uh, an email I got that uh, some guy had read my book on an oil platform in the North Sea. I got a huge kick out of that. And uh, and, I was, and, and I actually found out that there's a, there's a lot of really dedicated Jones people, even though, you know, Arthur's been yep. gone now for a while. And Nautilus has, uh, uh, doesn't have the market share. It was the undisputed industry leader at one point in time, but now it's just, uh, one of many, uh, companies that make exercise equipment. But there's still a really significant number of dedicated, loyal Arthur Jones followers. Yeah, I think you're right. And there's, there's also the dedicated Nautilus, even though it might not be the same of, you know, 20 or, you know, even 30 years ago, um, over that probably 40 years ago, right? But there's there's certain people, including the owner of Mission Five Fitness, who 
really don't want to, especially when it comes to strength training selectorized equipment, they don't want to deal with anything except for uh, Nautilus. So I think that, that still speaks to the brand, even though a lot of things have shifted and changed and over the years. Yeah, the you know, that one time uh, during its heyday, uh, the word Nautilus uh, became uh, generic. It was like uh, Kleenex, you know? Yeah. Uh, or... Um, so if if anyone there was a time actually when you you'd go into a gym and if you saw a blue machine it was Nautilus because in the early years that's all they offered was it was Barbados blue but uh, then um, they gave into demand and they painted the frames any color you wanted basically but uh, sure so yeah I'm I, I he definitely he didn't have there was only two primary competitors when Arthur started. Uh, uh, Paramount and Universal, I guess they were, and they were mm-hmm. quickly driven into bankruptcy, not deliberately, but just because of the quality of of Nautilus and the force of Arthur's personality. I mean, he was a phenomenal salesperson. Yeah, not only that, but he was so meticulous about how the machines worked and about what went into them. That's why, I mean, they were so big, so many moving parts, but they did exactly what he said they were going to do. Right. So I mean, absolutely, absolutely true. Absolutely yeah. true. He, uh, um, Stanley Plajanoff, who was uh, on the faculty of MIT, said that uh, Arthur was a, uh, a mechanical engineering genius. And um, you know, when you think of the lineup that they had back then, there's no machines to equal them even today. Um, you know, you can ask yourself. Do you, you know, you can ask a client, do you know what the prime function, do you know what the functions of the bicep are? Well, the prime function right. is to supinate the hand. The secondary function right. is to rotate the forearm around the axis of the elbow. And the third function is to elevate the upper arm. So Arthur built a machine that, that, uh, challenged all those functions. No one else right. does it. Not even today. Same with the tricep. No one does a compound tricep machine, but Arthur did. Yeah, they so they and even now I think you and I discussed this on the last podcast, they the the principles now with these machines, not that they're still not that they're not good machines and they still work what they're supposed to work, but the uh the way that they're built makes the way that they push a little easier compared to when uh art designed them. You know, you pulling a hundred pounds on a pullover felt like you were pulling probably the world over your shoulders. You know, not not now when it's where it's sure it can be challenging still, but it might take uh, a little more a little more weight now than it did then. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, but um, I, another thing that Nautilus had, which I don't see today, is they had weight stacks that uh, I don't think you'd be hard pressed to name a company that has a machine that gives you a 400 pound weight stack. You know, right. Um, yeah. So they so they do that, but yes, it, it, at least if the 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 big advantage is safety and convenience. I mean, if they're selectorized, you pull a pin and then uh, you can change the weight in a second. But uh, so you're not dropping anything on your feet and and things like that. So, um, you know, there's there's several advantages, but um, the thing the 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 example that I like to use is. Um, a friend of mine, unfortunately, was in a car accident and had a neck injury, and uh, he went and um, used a uh, 
a selectorized machine for the neck, and he told me he was using 150 pounds. Well, that told me everything I needed to know. I didn't need to know the brand. Uh, Arthur's yeah. uh, four-way neck machine had a 70-pound stack. You, you right. know, you really the neck is such a vulnerable area that uh, uh, I can't see building a neck machine with a two, three hundred-pound weight stack. No, I can't either. But it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like that person. I just feel like it, Art even would have probably made it more challenging to do that 70 pounds than it would be for that person to do 150 pounds, you know? So it's... Oh, no, no question. Listen, the the neck right. and shoulder machine, uh, which is, you know, everyone calls the shrug machine, um, yep. Dick Buck has used 55 pounds on it. Oh, my. And he was a monster. You know, one of the gods of football. Yeah, he was a, one of the greatest linebackers ever. And he was a big man and a strong man. And uh, all he could use was 55 pounds on it. So, you know, and people, it's not uncommon for, for power lifters to shrug four or 500 pounds as an exercise, right. I, I, I suppose. But uh, anyway, so those are, those are a couple of uh, examples of uh, when, I'm, when I'm told that, you know, the, the Arthur's machines, the cams were too aggressive. Well, basically they're saying they were too hard. So they wanted yeah. something easier. Right. And that, that kind of brings me into a good segue into uh, something I wanted to discuss with you about what is strength. Because mm-hmm. I, here in Cincinnati, um, which is the home of, of Nautilus, but the, the flying pig just got, just ended. So, you know, a lot of runners and I, I train a lot of endurance athletes and a lot of them are starting to see the benefit of doing strength training, of, of, of really training, especially the lower body because they don't, they don't like to, to say that they're not, they don't want to say they're not strong in their lower body. You know, I run, that's what keeps my legs strong. Well, you're conditioned to run, you're probably a very good runner or a very good cyclist. Um, and I've, I've successfully converted over a couple of my cyclists. They're, they're, you know, I have, they have to train the right way, uh, using, you know, overload principles and using weight and not just body weight motions or just being on the bike. And so in your mind, what what is strength? And what did you take away from, from Arnt's lesson for strength and, and who needs strength? Well, obviously, uh, uh, you know, um, injury prevention is, is one thing. I mean, a strong limb is less likely to be injured than a weak limb. But okay. um, the actual definition of strength, I think, Arthur, was uh, it's um, the force of muscular contraction, and it's measured by torque. And torque is um, a lever or a moment or a moment arm and perpendicular force. Those are the two factors that you use to calculate uh, torque. But um, how Arthur saved me from hurting myself when I first started was, again, in Nautilus Bolton 1, which I think is the still the greatest uh, book on resistance training um, because it was written primarily for people uh, using conventional equipment, barbells, um, because Nautilus machines were in their infancy then, and most of the people that read that Bolton 1 had never seen a Nautilus machine when it came out, the book, when the book came out. Anyway, in one of the chapters there, he made a distinction between um, strength and muscular endurance. And the example he used was if you could uh, bench press 300 pounds once and you could bench press 250 pounds 10 times 
it would make sense for you to think that the, your 300-pound bench press is an indication of your strength, and your 10 reps with 250 pounds is an indication, a measurement of your muscular endurance. Mm-hmm. So uh, he went on to say that, okay, say you took, I don't know if he said you took a vacation or or you took a layoff or you got sick, I don't know, but say you went uh, two, three weeks and you didn't train. Well, obviously you know that you're, you don't get stronger by not training for two or three weeks. So now you find you can only bench press 270 pounds. And and with your 250 pounds, you can only do six reps. So you you could conclude that, well, you know, I used to be able to bench 300. Now I only do 270, so my strength is 10% less. And I could do 10 with 250. Now I can only do six, so my my muscular endurance is dropped by 40%. But the mistake is, is that they didn't. You didn't. You're using two different scales. So, if your bench press uh, was down by 10%, you should reduce your your 250 that weight by uh, also by 10%, and you'll find that you could do 10 reps with 225. His point was that they're linked. They they go up and down in lockstep. Your your strength. And your muscular endurance, I'm talking anaerobic muscular endurance, right. uh, they go up and down. Uh, they're symmetrical like that. And uh, so the, the, the big lesson in there is that you don't have to risk the potential for injury with by trying these one-rep maximum lifts, which power lifters do and weight lifters do. And, you know, but they, cho- you know, any sport is potentially dangerous. But the thing about powerlifting and weightlifting is is that uh, you're really testing the structural integrity of your body, your anatomy. Um, and Arthur used to uh, like to cite uh, what he called the load factor limit. And the load factor limit uh, is the uh, is the breaking strength. It represents a breaking strength of the materials. And he says, you know, you can find a load factor limit. Uh, go to a hardware store and buy a ladder. And it'll have a load factor like no one heavier than 250 pounds should be on this ladder. And you'll find a load factor limit on your fishing line or a clothesline. You find it on the sidewall of your tires. And it's the, it's the breaking strength, the threshold of the breaking strength of those materials. But unfortunately, the human body doesn't come with a owner's manual that gives you your load factor limit. <laughs> right. So, so when you're going to try a one rep maximum, you are sprinting out into a minefield, and yeah, good luck to you. Right. Good luck to you. So you you know you don't need to do that. So once you know that there's a link between your strength and your muscular endurance, you'll hopefully you would not be attempting heavy single one rep maximum lifts. So so strength you can know your strength without you can have your cake and eat it too. You can know your strength, but you know your strength for like. How, how much can you bench press for 10 reps? How much can you curl right. for 10 reps? Instead of, yes, I bench press 400, you know. Right, yeah. And then I think that translates right, directly into um, performance standards, too, where when someone is increasing their their strength, you know, we typically I, I do around, you know, 12 to 15 repetitions with most people. Every once in a while, we go a little bit higher, uh, yeah. a little bit lower just to change things up. But, you know, that 12 to 15 rep range, and when they hit that 15 and they do it with 
a little bit of ease, then you just increase the weight just a little bit. Um, that's it. That's and you're the double progressive system. That's it. Yep. And you get a little stronger. Now, and I think I'll go ahead. I'm I'm sorry, but you'd mentioned runners and um, sure. Yeah. You know, running is, uh, I would have maybe, you know, um, you could explain to them that running is only a, a mid-range movement. And, and you can't, you won't, you'll only get, you'll only strengthen the muscle during a very uh, small part of that range. You know, mm-hmm. you know that um, a, a hip and back machine, an auto's hip and back machine, uh, gives you about 150 degrees of rotation around the hip joint. But when you run... They're barely rotating the femur in their hip in the hip joint. Right. You know, running is like you know walking. Walking is just losing your your center of uh, gravity and recovering, and running is basically the same, only at a a greater speed. So it's not uh, uh, long distance running is not to me. It's not. I don't know. I, I can't. I know that I you can't have, either. Yeah, I, I don't get it. It doesn't never had an appeal to me. Um, me either. But you know, you do. You, you know, you you have to. At least they're not sitting in a chair doing crossword puzzles. They're hundred percent. They're out doing some activity. But to me, the the you know, I can critique everything by full range exercise. And yeah. and Arthur showed. Um, actually, the uh, Arthur did show, but. Your military at West Point showed that you can get mm-hmm. the best cardiovascular uh, through resistance training, provided it's done in a very specific way. Right. Yeah, and we can get we can get into that too. That's that was an that's a little that's intense there, but not you know no. not necessarily it's for not, the yeah for the, it's not not the for the public, gym but, gym member. No, right. you're right. You're right. Right. The uh, the runners though, I think. What I was going to say is that that there, I think there's a change starting to occur. Because I think they're starting to realize, man, I, you know, if I actually strength train and get my legs stronger with, not with just the, the skill of running, that my my strike on the ground becomes stronger, uh, my legs feel better, maybe I'm not as sore, um, you know, and their time decreases on their runs. I know that I trained someone who just finished the Flying Pig in Cincinnati. And she said she took, uh, I want to say, 11 minutes off her, off her best. And, oh, jeez, that's you know, huge. And it, huge. Well, she was already a very, a very, very good runner to begin with, okay? There's no doubt about it. But, it, yeah, for her, that, of course, she was out of, out of her mind, excited. But um, huh. that's a person who, but those specific groups of people, noticing where, where strength actually improves their skill of, uh, you know, whatever else they enjoy to do is, I think, is uh, beyond what what we can describe. I mean, if you if you notice that strength training is improving your day-to-day activity, is awesome. Um, who else needs strength training besides those those runners? Would you would you agree that every person, regardless of age, um, needs to do strength training? Absolutely. In fact, uh, I think Arthur uh, mentioned in Bulletin 1, again, that I I think a person uh, 40 or more uh, stands uh, more to gain than a young person because uh, 
he's at the uh, maybe the tipping point where he's going to uh, get weaker and weaker. And I think I said maybe in our last podcast that, uh, you know, um, that's why people don't exercise is because they don't feel that they're getting weaker. The only time they know they're going to get weaker is when the uh, the case of beer that they lift out of the trunk of their car, which weighed <laughs> the same in all the previous years that they unloaded it, all of a sudden now their back is hurting them or, you know. Yeah. So, And there's something, uh, there was a word that I, I don't know if we addressed this last time or not, but it's, um, um, it was, wasn't in my vocabulary until recently, sarcopenia. And that's the, right. uh, the, the wasting of your lean, um, uh, muscle mass, uh, due to age. And there's no surgery, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no pill you can take for it. Only resistance training will keep it at bay. Oh yeah, and there's a lot of research done. I, I'm, maybe you're familiar with uh, Dr. Wayne L. Westcott, who yes. published. Uh, yeah, so he has a lot of information on aging and exercise. That's his primary uh, study, his focus, and he talks a lot about, you know, from 30 on, 35 years of age and on, how much muscle mass that we lose. I mean, he doesn't even go. He doesn't even specifically dive into how much fat mass a person gains. But in particular, the muscle mass that we lose in relationship to uh, to how much fat mass we will put on, you know, it's guaranteed that it's going to happen, especially if you're not strength training. Right. You know, uh, I had an uncle. I, I loved him dearly. But one time he told me, he says, John, you know what? I weigh exactly the same now as I did when <laughs> I was playing football in high school. <laughs> but to look at him, he didn't yeah. look the same. He might have weighed the same, but the muscle mass had uh, atrophied and he added pounds of fat. So the needle yeah. on the scale didn't really tell him uh, the, the truth. You know, it's just too yeah. one-dimensional. didn't tell the body composition. But aging, just allow me to tell you this story quickly. Um, Go for it. John, John Grimmick, who was, the uh, I think, the first Mr. America, the only Mr. America to uh, win it twice, and then he also represented the United States in the uh, 1936 Olympics in uh, Germany on your weightlifting team. And he worked for Barbell, and he became like an icon, and he traveled the world. And uh, I think he lived to be 88. Wow. But um, but uh, Grimek uh, trained so hard. The founder of York Barbell, uh, Bob Hoffman, when he died, the, the you know the new owners came in. And uh, Grimmick used to train in the York gym. And and Grimmick was n- no longer young. He was in his 60s or maybe even in his 70s. He was training so hard that the new owners were afraid that one day they'd come in and find him dead and his Grimmick's family would sue them back to the Stone Age. So they banned him from from the York gym. He had basically was responsible for building the company. But anyway... So he went back to training in his garage at home, unheated garage in the winter in York, Pennsylvania. But anyway, I happen to know four guys that went to the um, the 1976 Olympics in Montreal. And I asked each one of them, after the games were over, independent of the other, I asked them, uh, well, what, what did you think of the Olympics? What was your impression of the Olympics? Each one of them said, independent of the other, you should have seen Grimmick. 
<laughs> Grimmick was there, and Grimmick then would be uh, in his 60s maybe. Then I talked to a guy named Dennis Weiss. Uh, I think he's called the Yukon Hercules. And he said Grimmick was up in Alaska, and they went through um, a shopping mall up there. It was, must have been Anchorage or Juneau, Fairbanks, I don't know. One of the cities there that had a shopping mall. And he's walking with John through the shopping mall, and he noticed something, that every time that somebody saw Grimmick, they stopped dead in their tracks. And he thought, what? And John didn't take any notice of it. He must have been used to it. And finally it occurred to him, it's, it's like nobody Grimmick's age should have a physique like that. There's the way he the way he trained, right? Oh yeah, he he trained the way he trains a week. Yeah, he trained three times a week, and he trained heavy right up to the end. Hurt his hip, went into the hospital, got pneumonia, and passed away. Mm-hmm. And he trained full but body I, too, correct? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was. Uh, uh, he was. Well, your uh, body works as a unit, so it should be trained as yes. a unit. Yeah, he was a, a real fundamental guy. Not to put that in the show notes so people can look him up. Definitely. That's a good story. Yeah, Um, it was... uh... That's kind of a a showing of uh, past strength training and exercise in general. Just a captivated all-in-one exercise now versus then. Why do you think that... Why do you think you don't see so many of those of those types walking around now? Or... I mean, it was still. I guess when when he was when he was still walking around that way, he. Uh, I mean, it was very. It was not very common because so many people were still looking at him. But why do you think society is is started to turn away from uh, what real strength training is, or do you think we're starting to get back into it? And and how do we keep it going on that track? Uh, I don't know. I where I am, I'm not at the pulse of pulse of weight training. I imagine that's. On the uh, still out on the west coast would probably be, but the west coast is also where all the fads and, and novelty yeah. things usually uh, come out of on the west coast. But uh, that's true. Uh, no, I, I I don't know. Um, I guess it's it would still be remarkable if you saw. I mean, Grimmick was the was an exception, right? I mean, he uh, oh, yeah he started way back when they said don't lift weights, you'll get a hernia. Don't lift weights, you'll your your uh, all your male you'll hormones. You'll injure yourself. Be, yeah, you'll you know you'll become muscle bound. <laughs> well, he went to great lengths to uh, combat that, and um, I think it was at the Los Angeles uh, Athletic Club. Uh, he went and um, he was doing um, giant swings on the still rings and the Iron Cross, and he could walk up and down stairs on his hands. He could do. Uh, um, flips. The most amazing thing I think was he could he could standing stiff legged he could touch his elbows to his toes. Oh wow! Yeah, and he could do f- full splits, and uh, so he he uh, used to you know fight that uh, myth that if you lift weights you'll be muscle bound. Muscle bound and stiff. And yeah. 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 And you but, can get um, that way if you don't do it right. If you do full range exercise, though, that's a different story. Right. The short, right. the short range is a motion. So he was obviously doing it 100% correct. Yes, yes. Um, 
Back to the strength thing, um, Arthur, in his research, um, he did he he tested people's strength, but he only did it um, statically uh, to eliminate really? friction. If you yes, if you test dynamically, um, the the uh, the results are contaminated, for lack of a better word, by friction. You know, because you're forty percent on average stronger negatively than you are having oh. a positive. So, um, and and I think the the most common tool in research, and I could be wrong, but at least it used to be, was the leg extension machine. And um, I don't know if you've ever tried a Cybex, uh, I think it's called the Cybex Orthotron. It's an isokinetic leg extension machine. No, I haven't. Um, well, that was that was the the research tool in universities uh, back in the from the from the I'm going to say. From the 1970 onwards, um, it was invented by a guy named uh, Perrine, and uh, you were you got into this thing and you were told to explode into the uh, the pad on your shin, and it was of course set at a uh, you know um, a very specific uh, angular velocity of 60 degrees uh, per second or. 90 degrees per second, whatever it was, but you were used to explode into it. But um, Arthur, when he built his leg extension machine, it was like very specific. It had the uh, the back pad was not vertical; it was set at an angle backwards, and the mm-hmm. uh, seat the seat was on an upward incline. And all this right. was done for for a reason to. Uh, um, Relax your uh, hamstrings so that your quads could uh, fully contract without uh, fighting a lot of stored stored energy. But anyway, I was I was kind of curious. I thought, you know, all this he spent so much time on the leg extension machine, and yet some of these specimens um, had had very could display really uh, excellent leg development long long time ago. Um, I wondered when was the very first leg extension machine, and I, I found I think it came out 1952. Oh, so the wow. I, the, was, was the earliest I could find, and it was, of course, in California. It was, I think, George Redpath had a gym, but it was so primitive. It was basically a table with two levers. So you sat on the table, and you put your feet under. You could, so you could do a leg extension or a leg curl, depending on which way you got onto the table. But there was no back pad. There was nothing to hang on to or anything like that. No seat belt. But but obviously, guys like uh, Grimmick and Reeves and other bodybuilders, they built their legs with squats. Right. Because there was no. There might have been iron boots, but I don't know of anyone who built great legs just using iron boots. You know those. those they're like a, a deep sea diver. Uh, yep. Those. Yeah. Yeah. I have so, a, I have a set. I have a pair. Uh, I'll, do you? I'll take a picture. Yeah, I do. I'll take a picture when we're done. I'll take a picture and send it to you. Oh, jeez. I have them, okay. I have them in my basement in my home gym. Yeah, I got them from a friend who I train. Um, he's in the military and uh, he had a bunch of bunch of stuff down in his basement. He said, "Hey, man, come in and take whatever you want." And uh, he had this big bucket full of um, uh, weightlifting chalk, and there was a couple of those in there. I was like, "You have got to be kidding me! I'm taking these." 
and they're big, oh, yeah. bright, clunky red pieces. I'll send I'll send you a picture of them. They're pretty entertaining. Oh, that's, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm off topic, but I I guess my point was that you know there's a lot of people out there that that actually I would say the majority of them aren't gym members. They're still training at home. They're oh yeah. At home, and they they don't have a leg extension to hop on. They don't have a pullover machine. You know, they have to do chins, or you know. So there's yep. still a lot of those guys out there. In fact, that's probably um, uh, again the majority of them. But um, you know, if you, you there's the gym business is. Uh, mm, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> is there a saturation? Have we reached the saturation point? Because uh, no. No way. Eh? I mean, yes, yes, yes. There is a saturation, but we have have we reached the point? No. And there's 320 million people out there. Who knows them? How many actually strength train or know about it or are afraid of it? When you have places that you can go in, you have five times the amount of cardio equipment than you do strength training equipment. You know, you're not allowed oh, to make yeah. noise on the on the strength training floor. You can't. You know, you're not allowed to exert yourself in some of these places, and then there's no setup for. Nobody wants to show you how to use it, so you stay away from it. And then you have the people who think that uh, even women who I think I'm going to get big and bulky and too too masculine looking, and there's no education for it. So I I think there is a saturation. I don't think we've hit to the hit the point where it's um, it's through yet. It's definitely not through yet. In Cincinnati here, there are small gyms popping up all over the place that don't do the right thing. Um, the fad mm-hmm. gyms that are coming from places like the West Coast, like you said. I mean, it might take 10 years to get to the Midwest, but it's happening and it's still out there. And so I think people like you who are writing these books about the the original people who are doing things correctly in the safe way and getting the results that last in a lifetime, that those are the things that are going to keep fitness on, on track. And maybe it's going to become a smaller, narrow uh, group of people before it gets wider again, but I think we've seen the trend where exercise has gone through these big ebb and flows, and all of a sudden people, you know, people are starting to get back into kettlebells now. How old are kettlebells? Um, oh, yeah. People starting, yeah, you know, so these things go up and down, I think, and who knows if it's going to take 40 years for everybody to see, wow, we were doing things right, you know, a long time ago, but um, yeah, you know, Arthur, Arthur says, but <laughs> Arthur said the truth can't be denied forever. And, um, no, it can't. But, you know, um, I uh, lectured at a couple of universities up here, and um, I was the athletic directors gave me a tour of their facilities. No neck machines. Uh, their fear really? of uh, fear of liability. Yeah, uh, I would think there'd be a greater fear of uh, putting a hard shell helmet on some kid and sending him out on a football field and having him break his neck. And then uh, having to take the, the witness stand and say, no, we didn't uh, do anything to try and strengthen his neck. Yeah. Um, There's – well. The other thing is that I don't think the equipment is um, – nobody's heard of indirect effect. Yeah. And they don't yeah, – they, you know, they don't uh, – now, Lou Helosi, a Canadian, Toronto, he, he probably – he's retired to Florida now. In fact, he's um, – I think he wants – he's trying to buy or acquire – the uh, original Nautilus building. He wants to open a Nautilus oh, yeah. museum. Yeah. Uh, he his gym in Toronto. It was laid out great. It was laid out all the muscles, the leg work, the legs and upper back and trapezius. It was all in order of size. 
He, he, he knew what he was doing. Yep. Yeah, indirect effect. That might, we might have to save that one for, I'll make a note, save that one for our next podcast because I, I've talked to, to people about that too and I start to, you start describing that to them and, and of course it makes sense. It might take a, a little bit to, to get it through, but everybody's like, oh wow, that makes complete sense. <laughs> so I guess, yeah. uh, Lou, is that his name? Holosi? Yes. So he's in, he's in Gainesville then, is that, would that be right? He, no, he's in Lake Helen. Oh, okay. All right. He's in Lake okay. Helen. That's where the, that's where the building was. Oh, um, okay. Sorry. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, he's, you know, I, I, I don't know how successful he'll be, but I think he has a, like a hundred machines. Oh, that'd be amazing. I bet he, you think he has an original pullover machine? Uh, oh yeah. Because that would be the one to see. That would be incredible to see. Oh, uh, <laughs> do you mean the actual very first one? No, but like one of the oh. originals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he has. With the, with the spiral pulleys, uh, yeah. Yeah. The yeah, the very first, the very first Nautilus machine was, uh, sold to a lawyer from Miami named, uh, Dana Brigham and delivered on November the 30th, 1970. That's, that's when it started. Oh, that's, wow. Really? To a lawyer? Yeah. Well, good for lawyer. him. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it wasn't wasted. <laughs> hey, we're, uh, we're running up, running up on time here. Um, okay. Speaking of speak, speaking of projects, I know you're you've got a bunch of stuff going on. What uh, what do you have in the works right now? People can look forward to. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm speaking uh, in Niagara Falls at a medics facility to the uh, staff there. Um, in September, I'll be doing that, and I've contributed to a a book. Uh, it's going to be called uh, Discovering. Muscle Beach. It's written by Steve Ford. He's uh, out in California. And this guy has done um, yeoman's uh, uh, service trying to, because uh, everyone's heard of Muscle Beach, but they right. don't really know the history about it. And this Steve Ford has uh, uh, done a, a terrific job of, of trying to track down the people that were around when it was in its heyday. He's spoken to Steve Reeves and, you know, um, many of the other people from that bygone era. And he's uh, even gone and he's gone to where the, you know, where were the gyms around Muscle Beach? He went and, you know, some of them now is a sushi bar or something like that. <laughs> you know, he's, he's tracked them all down. He's done a lot of research, amazing amount of research. So I contributed a bit to that book. Um, I might be coming out by the end of this year. I'm not sure, but it's going to be called Discovering Muscle Beach. And, oh, it's um, great. Yeah, and um, again, most of my time is um, I'm answering uh, emails from all over the world. It's uh, the ones from Russia are challenging. I I understand that. Uh, I learned that Google re- Google Translate doesn't always um, isn't always effective. So I had to. Uh, had to kind of simplify my answers as much as possible, you know, because they're they're sending me something in uh, broken English, and uh, right. I'm trying to answer them in their native tongue. But I found out oh. that there's there's all different types of uh, uh, Russian dialects, I guess. So anyway, oh, yeah, that's that, right. that that's fun, and there's a lot of real serious guys, as I said before, in the United Kingdom couple of amazing collectors um, uh, why 
why I say it's amazing is is that um uh, you know they don't have they don't have the number of machines over in Europe that you have in the United States or we have up here in yeah. Canada you know because of the shipping cost was so prohibitive so one guy even wrote me he bought uh, a full line of Nautilus off of uh Roger Daltrey of the Who Oh really Yeah that, I guess yeah. I guess that'd be I guess that'd be prime. I mean, I'm sure Daltrey was in the prime time of it, right? Where it got big, and I'm sure he could yeah. afford it. And yeah, that makes sense. Man, I, I wonder how much of that's out there. I don't know. I understand Lou Ferrigno has a uh, a full line of Nautilus in his home. I would be I would be more surprised to learn that he didn't have that. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, it'd be a shame to say that he didn't. I wonder if uh, I wonder if Arnold still messes with any of that stuff. Well, you he know, I was he does right. Oh, oh yeah. Listen, uh, um, I'm gonna when we hang when we ring off here. I have a photo that I like to say it it must have slipped past the weeder sensors because there's <laughs> Arnold killing himself on a pullover. Um, oh really? Nautilus pull uh, with Mike Mike Menser lurking in the background, waiting his turn. Oh, the other thing I'm doing onto my website. It's in the Arthur Jones Library, and maybe it'll okay. be posted posted as soon as Monday next week. I went through the um, the original Iron Man, the old Iron Man, and I've posted all the um, Nautilus ads. I remember From, a couple months ago you tell me about that. You were going to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's going to be probably done by Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, Perry Rader, the the founder of Iron Man, uh, Iron Man was not the way it is today, which is like eighty percent advertisements. Um, right. Iron Man was was a smaller, almost like an old TV guide size when it first started. Anyway, uh, Perry Rader told me of a pheno- unique phenomenon that. Uh, um, Subscribers to it would tell him that when they got the magazine, they read the Nautilus ads first. They said that there was more information in the Nautilus ads than there was in the articles. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, um, so there's a lot of stuff. That, so I'm doing that. Uh, it's about 100 advertisements. Some of them are uh, pretty interesting. That Well, when you start, um, whenever you get the, those posted next week or whenever, Shoot that to me, and uh, I'll help you get it out there a little bit more. Oh, okay, great. It'd be great. Well, hey, John, I know you're a super busy guy, and um, I tell you what, the, the people that listen to this get a huge chunk of, of information, and I know you could go on for hours and hours, and I could too, but uh, if people want to to learn more on their own time, please check out ArthurJonesExercise.com. I'll have that in the show notes. And I'll shoot you those workout boots in about oh, ten yeah, minutes. Okay. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Eric. Uh, keep uh, keep up with your good work. Uh, you do the same, sir. I appreciate it, and I will talk to you very soon. Thanks, everybody, and okay. I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, thanks, John. Thank you, Eric. Bye, bye. <laughs>